That was wonderful. Ladies and gentlemen, that is uh, my associate Ken whistling to begin the this week's episode of Complimentary Cinema here on the O&M Stockroom. We're your hosts, Brian McGarry. And Ken O'Malley. And, uh, you know, let's... Uh, we watched a... Uh, we did our first romantic comedy tonight. I uh, wasn't necessarily planned that way, but uh, all these wonderful free YouTube movies are definitely uh, kind of exciting right now. You know, lots of options. We've had we've had a lot of uh, total crap come our way. We've had some really good stuff come our way the last couple times. And uh, so today we did... Uh, what did we do today? Uh, I don't remember the name of it. It's called Moonstruck, and <laughs> We did the film... Uh, we watched the film Moonstruck uh, from 1987, er, released early 88, starring Cher and Nicolas Cage. And... Uh, you're a little bit younger than me, so you don't remember some of the buzz around the film and the poster and everything, because I was I was exposed to that quite a bit as a kid. I never have heard anything about this movie until you told me this is what we're watching. I uh, It was my turn to pick this week, and I decided to go for this one because it's one of those films, like, you know, growing up, my, all my mom did was watch TV. Like she could have made a career out of it if she had been a little more, uh, you know, constructive of it. But point is, is that movies were constantly coming in and out of the house and we always would hear about stuff and she always watched Siskel and Ebert every week. And, uh, you know, we would occasionally, you know, especially like in the eighties and nineties, a lot of theaters would have like little magazines talking about like that summer's blockbusters or big movies and. I know my my grandmother was kind of the same way, and she had a big book about some of the bigger grossing films of all time. And I could have sworn that like I've I've read about that movie over the years, just here and there in little blips and blurbs. But I would didn't really know what it was about. I just knew it was Cher and Nick Cage, and that's really really all. And I just remember that to me now iconic movie poster up on the uh, up on the. Uh, in the magazines or wherever. I just, it's the sort of thing that just when you're very, you know, I was like five when it came out, just one of those things that like, it's been around all your life kind of just permeating in the background. And I figured if I'm ever going to watch a romantic comedy with Cher, then by God, it's going to be here on complimentary cinema. <laughs> well, and I think that's the great thing about it is that it really rounds out our overall repertoire because, uh, we would never have picked something like this um, if I was just picking movies I liked to watch or, you know what I mean, something like uh, movies I'm aware of. Sure. We never would have seen anything like this. No. You know, and um, yeah, I just think it, it really, it brings something completely different to the table. I think so too. And it's a little more, uh, a little something for everyone here on this channel because uh you know, I'm not really necessarily a romantic comedy guy, but I just I just think this will prove that we're not above uh, talking a, about a movie with Cher, which, uh, you know, some people might uh, turn their nose up at. And, you know, for understandable reasons, you know, uh, Cher can be obnoxious, you know, and certainly with all the plastic surgery, the last, you know, couple decades is obnoxious to look at. But that's a whole other that's a whole other issue. Which is not relevant to our discussion tonight. That's fair. So for complimentary cinema, for those just joining us this week, uh, every week, Ken and I 
uh, take turns. We pick a movie that's uh, free on YouTube to watch and we watch it and we talk about it. And it's always a film that he and I have never seen before, at least to our knowledge. And uh, sometimes we pick them because the, uh, the name sounds good or it sounds bad because of the, the good or bad poster or just whatever happens to pique our interest that week. And uh, hence the complimentary part, because you can watch it and uh, join us uh, in the discussion, so to speak, and at no charge. So uh, Moonstruck, starring Cher, what, uh, what are your, what's your initial impression of this one? Um, well, obviously, since I didn't know anything about the film, I uh, kind of assumed it was, I mean, I didn't even see genre. Like, I didn't even see anything about it beforehand. Uh, when you told me it was Cher, I kind of assumed, or like, romantic kind of drama or something like that you know kind of more uh serious tone i think so i think that's part of what took this movie took me by surprise a little bit is that this movie is incredibly funny this is we laughed a lot during this movie and i think all almost all of that laughter was earned absolutely um i this is definitely one of the best well the best written films that we have watched so far this is uh, for those listening, this is, I believe, episode nine. So of the nine films we've done so far, definitely the best written, I think, and uh, superbly acted. Lots of little nuances and lots of uh, great little characters and moments, which, uh, you know, we, we've talked about little world building things in other films. And this this one definitely has has a bit of that. You know, you have some inconsequential characters that add some flavor and add some spice to the to the film uh why don't you go ahead and uh, give us a basic rundown of the of the plot here well i also want to say i think it kind of summarizes my whole feeling about it but when we got towards the end i said in a very strange way this is one of the most wholesome movies i've ever seen and i think that really at its core is what makes it different or what makes it stand out uh it is unabashedly wholesome in a very odd way because uh, the subject matter it deals with is not necessarily wholesome. Right. So anyway, the, the general are, well, we follow our main character, who is a bookkeeper living in Brooklyn and New York. And um, one of the other characters I'll mention is pretty much like the city, I feel like, um, as far as the, the backdrop for this whole thing. Um, you could not take the city out of this story. Um, it, it, it's... It's just another part of the movie. Um, so anyway, it's uh, the uh, our main character is living her life. Uh, she is uh, with this boyfriend who very early on asks her, you know, to marry her. Played by Danny Aiello, who's a well-known actor in many, many, many films. Right. And he just seems kind of like, uh, um, I don't know how to explain it. He's kind of a soft guy. He's a, kind of wishy-washy. He's a he's a good-hearted man without much of a spine, is I think how I might put it. Yeah, not a whole lot of substance. Um, I think a lot of the characters in this movie they kind of know what they want, um, and like everyone is very confident in the way they are, and he is confident in being unconfident. I think that that'd be a that's a good uh, way to put that, you know. It's like you know he he wants to propose to her, but he does it in a very ham-fisted way, and he doesn't even think to 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 have a ring. 
and he, he doesn't think to actually get down on his knees and everything. And, and, you know, Cher's character is very forgiving of all of this because, you know, he is a good man, but it just shows, you know, and he does it like in a busy restaurant too. And it just kind of, uh, it, it leaves an odd taste in your mouth and just, you, you have a hard time imagining her marrying this man. But this is where, I think this is where the, like, the comedy really starts taking off though, because it is so absurd. Just the, the, his whole attitude and her attitude back is like perfect because she, she's not like offended by it. She's just very practical about it. Like, well, if I'm going to marry you, you're going to be, you're going to do this. And then you're going to do this. And she, you know, she walks him through the steps of what he should have done in the first place. Not because she's upset or anything, but like that's her personality is like very practical. Like we're, we're going to yeah. do this and we're going to do this because, and it's, she's practical because she's superstitious, which she, is the other strange thing. Superstitious in an odd way because she, she shares character, uh, Loretta Castorini is convinced that she has bad luck. Why does she have bad luck? Because, you know, she's 37. She was uh, she was married for only a couple of years to like a, a love of her life who was hit by a bus. And she they got married at the uh, what the, the was it City Hall or something. Right. You know, they did a very, very practical, functional ceremony, but like no reception, no real like wedding per se. And she feels that that's what doomed her wedding. Well, and from her perspective, too, she said, you know, I waited too long. Like, they, my family said marry young. I waited till I was a little older and, like, was choosy about who I was going to be with. And then, you know, all this all this being non-traditional is what kind of gave her the bad luck. Yeah. And now she here she is with, you know, a very uncomfortable Danny Aiello on his knees in this restaurant badly proposing but she does say yes and uh what what happens after that is immediately he's got to go to palermo italy to uh well sicily more precisely to um see his ailing mother he's definitely a mama's boy we find out and uh he takes off and before right as he's at the airport he asks her to uh uh call his estranged brother and invite him to the wedding which uh, leads in the leads to the next twist in this tale. Oh, I can't imagine if I was just engaged to someone, and their first instruction was to smooth things over with, like this brother I haven't spoke to in five years. That would immediately set off some warning bells in my head. Like, um, first of all, I didn't know he had a brother. Second of all, apparently you're fighting, and I'm supposed to bring you together. Like, uh. That's kind of a tall order. And she definitely approaches it as an unusual request, which it would be, but... But she with, agreed to take care of everything with the wedding. So, you know, that's, I guess, just part of she it. She wants things to happen, you know, so she ends up, uh, you know, so she she ends up, you know, going home, telling her parents. Her parents are like, oh, God, you should, you know, why are you getting married again? The first time didn't work out. You got bad luck, which, you know, you can see where her... Her uh, perception of her fortunes come from, you know, it's definitely an inherited trait that, at that point, you know, but her father's upset. Her father doesn't like Danny Aiello. Her mom just, you know, was worried that it's going to end badly for her. 
you know, but there, you know, her mom's going to support her, whatever. So she ends up uh, trying to, you know, hit up, uh, hit up this brother, Ronnie, played by Nicolas Cage. So Nicolas Cage is a baker. So it turns out he was going to get married, but um, right before his brother came over and came to buy some bread and distracted him and his hand got caught in the slicer bread slicer and he lost his hand uh, most of his hand in the accident and so from that point on he disavowed his brother and uh his his soon-to-be wife left him and uh his life just basically he said is ruined and uh very emotional about baking bread and uh fantastically emotional his just his place in life at this point uh his outlook on life and uh, just the, just the way that they introduce him is fantastic, you know, because she originally she calls him, you know, and you just see the, just see just see the back of him, you know, and he's like wearing like a, you know, like a white undershirt tank top and he's greasy and his hair is a mess. And, you know, you just see him from the back with the phone and, you know, he's just like, you know, like what's been what's been what's been wronged can never be undone. And he's. Just, you know, full of like this fury and rage and he throws a bunch of coal into a furnace, you know, just a great little initial shot there, which I, I liked a lot. It really showed you the the intensity and the ferocity of this character. And then when we she ends up going down there to see him in person, you know, and we learn the, the details that you just shared. And it it is classic Nick Cage. It's a little bit over the top, but it's not in this particular case. It it's, and this is something I think happens a few times in the film with different characters. They basically find the limits of what is preposterous before, without going overboard. And they reach that limit. They just go right up to it. Maybe just, just, just before they cross that line. And that's where they're playing some things. And his initial scene there with, with Cher is played like that, and it is fantastic. I think that's the beauty, too, of the comedy, is each character pushes to that line and maintains that line throughout the film. So, like, everyone is kind of crazy. When you start thinking about these people and how they interact with each other and all this stuff, they are way larger than life. But because they all balance so well, it's, like, it's very watchable. Well, I mean, they're... You know, you really ha- end up having an ensemble cast here. I mean, obviously you have your, like your two main leads, but you see everyone else enough and they interact enough that you have a real ensemble cast and which does provide that balance. And because they're all playing up here, so to speak, there's a lot of room for all of them to to interact with in in a way. And there's a lot of space for them to express their characters and their roles. And I just love that none of them go overboard. It's all, it's all contained just enough that it's, you know, it's, it's just fantastic. Like it's, there's some melodrama, but it's not hammy. Mm. There's some, you know, uh, you know, declarations of, you know, like of rage, you know, of, of, of Nicholas Cage against his brother, but it's all, you know, believable and it's all, it's just it's so much that it's funny, but not so much that it's unbelievable, I guess is, is how I might put that. 
So what happens after uh, <laughs> after uh, Cher and uh, Nicholas Cage? They meet at this bakery and they they can't. Uh, she can't seem to get through to him. So she's like, "Hey, can I talk to you somewhere?" And they go to uh, Nick Cage's apartment, which I guess is right above the bakery. There, they go up to the the this uh, apartment. She cooks him some food, and it's just basically trying to get him to calm down. Like, look, I'm just trying to be the the messenger here. I'm just trying to smooth things over with the family. Like, your brother wants to to come, and you know he's explaining why he is feeling the way he is. But she's kind of unraveling a little bit because you know she's taking care of him. And she's explaining, you know, her backstory and why she's got problems. And, you know, everybody's got problems. Why are you so focused on this? Why are you letting it it ruin your life? And um, it comes to a point where he realizes that, like, she and him, like, had the same pain. And... They get each other. Yeah, they, they make a connection. And he flips the table over. Very dramatically, but not over the top. Just dramatically enough. Just dramatically enough. And they end up together, kissing and uh, carrying together. on. Together. And there, there's some great one-liners, too, in the, uh, the build-up to them uh, consummating their, their, their uh, relations. And uh, there's... Uh, pretty soon after that, we, we kind of get to the... Um, the source of the title of this film, like that evening back at the Cher's mom's house, you know, they're all having dinner and they're all talking about this great big moon that, uh, you know, some of the family saw when they were younger and how it was, you know, a, you know, I can't remember all the details on that, but the long story short is, you know, there was a, there was a big impressive moon that was really making people swell with love. And apparently Apparently, it's the same damn moon that night, which is, you know, getting all these people up in a twist. Yeah. So the, the we've met some of the other family members throughout the film. So we've met um, the mom and dad and the grandpa, and we've met the aunt and the uncle. And they're also kind of all getting wrapped up in this moon. So oh, it's yeah. kind of how it's all connected together. So in the middle of the movie, you start seeing all of their... Um, each of their interactions and how they're all being affected. And uh, so like the aunt and the uncle kind of get a little frisky and, you know, he's, he's like a young man, you know, they, they play it in this big, mm-hmm. you know, she, she says in the moonlight, you look like you're 25 and, you know, he gets a little saucy about it. Oh, he gets very, he gets this sheepish little, you know, grin on his face and then he comes over and, you so know, the, they get to canoodling. So the aunt and the uncle are just having this little kind of cute old people relationship. And then, the other background is that uh, the mom and the dad, uh, the dad is kind of uh, distant and emotionally distant and uh, physically distant in a way, too. Right. So um, it turns out that he's seeing someone else. And uh, that's why, you know, he's he's focuses energy somewhere else. And. Uh, so then the mom kind of feels like she's alone and that's kind of her, her part of the story. And then, uh, grandpa is just kind of a, a cool old guy and, uh, very old grandpa. He's just like very, living life, man. Very skeletal looking, not necessarily healthy looking. I mean, he's got to be, you know, God, I would guess 80 or 90 compared to the other cast members. 
or at least, you know, how the ages are portrayed. And, but he's got like five dogs that he's constantly walking and, and you know, uh, surreptitiously feeding and uh, just constantly having around. You know, he's he's having a good time, though. And he, but, they, he even howls at the moon with his dogs. Too. What I was going to say is the best part is that all these other people are falling in love or like it's all about love. And his love is him and the dogs barking at the moon. He's a very minor. Uh, he's a very minor character in the uh, in the whole cast, you know. But he uh, he provides a, a, an odd kind of glue to things. Like he's like the most uh, uh, I w- not uninvolved, but just the most um, neutral. It's just kind of going about his business, you know, with his dogs. I mean, he has he has some important parts to play, but yeah, he's definitely. Uh... He's he, like you said, connective glue. Just another, you know, another part showing this living family, and a little eccentricities and things like that. So Sharon, Nicholas Cage, you know, they have their, uh, they have their their uh, romantic encounter, and the next morning, you know, Sharon wakes up and she's just like, "Holy shit! What did I just do?" Because the effect of the moon has has faded away. There, she's no longer moonstruck and uh you know she's just kind of flipping out a little bit nicholas cage on the other hand has been transformed he is no longer the uh the uh, angry brooding fiery man that we met the the day before he's now the strange kind of pieces come over him and he's just like listen i love you i love you i love you which just pisses off sherry even more and he's they end up agreeing to go to the opera and uh, they go to the opera. And what happens at the opera, Ken? Uh, well, at the opera, it turns out that uh, Cher's dad and uh, girlfriend, you know, on the side, are also there. So they end up bumping into each other, and uh, she's not there with her fiancé. He's not there with his wife. It's uh, a little awkward, and they decide to... Uh, they didn't see each other. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I saw something, maybe I didn't. <laughs> I didn't see you. You didn't see what? Lots of great Italian accents, New York Italian accents in this. Yes. And uh, lots of talking with hands, which I love. Yes. And lots of good Italian food. Incredibly Italian. Um, that that small town in a big city feel where it's like this very close-knit group of people um, at the backdrop of this just big breathing city, you know, living, breathing city. You know, this is not the type of uh, movie I would normally see or talk about. I think the main thing is just the 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 level of humor, and it's just everything's very genuine. Even the parts where Nicolas Cage gets a little bit uh, over romantic, uh, especially in the scene when he's just trying to get Cher to come back over again. Mm-hmm. He, he, it really goes way way beyond uh, the Call of Duty. <laughs> and being poetic and uh, uh, just extra, I I I would say like a, a a modern a modern social take on that might call him a little bit of uh, rapey. Yeah, it, he, it just, he is he is pretty pushy in that scene. He's pushy, but it's just he he's just that like you know where you just get completely taken over by an emotion, and he just goes with it. And I, I'm not criticizing it necessarily, but I'm just uh, like. It's definitely a, a, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. It's a, it's just great. 
Everything is wonderful. It's a it's a uh, it's a good performance for, by Nick Cage overall for a movie that the undertones of it and the the reason I say that it's strange it's strangely wholesome is that the basic underlying story is like infidelity, and you know that's really the drama is is this you know the, the all this sneaking around and the mom's dying like the the uh, the fiance's mom's dying fiance's mom's dying like these things are bad things but like. It kind of doesn't matter, like, because that's not. It's not. It doesn't. The movie doesn't focus on the bad part. It's just focused on like how these people were living and the emotions and you know and the family aspect of it too. Because I mean, I feel like all we really need to talk about at this point is the end and how it all wraps up. Oh, I think that's a good one. Now, the, the, the long story short, so you know, all these loose threads, you know, that have been building through this through this film, like uh. You know, shares dad with his little side chick, uh, Nicholas Cage and his brother Danny Aiello, and even uh, shares mom who had dinner with another gentleman. You know, all these little loose threads start just coming back to the dinner t- or the breakfast table, rather. You know, on the morning uh, that Danny Aiello comes to see Cher, and like once again, it all comes back to the family. You yes, know? everyone keeps coming back to this. You know, we, we're all family, like we're all in this together at the end of the day. The way that they, uh, the way that they just introduce, like, it's like one person at a time, you know, like it, it's a very stage production like uh moment. It's wonderful. You know, it's just the, the way that it builds is fantastic. The way that they introduce each character and how they kind of interact with each other for a minute is great. Because and- it starts with Sharon mom and it's, you know, mom obviously knows that that's mom knows something fucky's well, up because yeah. she didn't come home last night and she's got a hickey on her neck like you know i i know that wasn't you're from your fiance you know you're, you're in trouble mm-hmm. uh and then the doorbell rang so immediately you're like oh oh god, oh god it must be danny aiello coming to see his fiance and then it isn't and it, it isn't it's one family member after the next keeps coming and every time the doorbell rings you're like oh no it's danny and then it's a f- fantastic way to build the tension too with everything but then it doesn't it's, it doesn't relieve the tension when another person comes because then they have tension with someone else that they you know th- their drama that they had and uh it's just it's, it's like it's like in, instead of like a resolution it's like building a house of cards mm-hmm. and you're wondering like how it's all going to fall down mm-hmm. but uh you know without without saying you know everything you know it, it ends all right for him yeah i just want to say like that's that really is what like the whole movie kind of was about yeah it's about that like there's a whole bunch of problems in relationships with other people, but in the end, you know, you're understanding with each other and you work it out. And uh, I think that was just, you know, it was it was a very feel good movie. It's very enjoyable. Uh, this is what I love about doing this podcast with you, Ken, is because this kind of movie I know that you could translate and actually have it make sense, because <laughs> I would not have been able to. I, I don't think that this type of movie I'm I'm good at analyzing like you are. Well, it's just you just you found because you find the thread and you just pull it out and be like, well, here. Well, just the, it makes perfect sense. The people have a lot of charm and charisma. That they do. And so when you get them together in the right way, it just makes this very cohesive movie. Yeah, and and that whole last scene is really masterfully done. You know, not only just in terms of the writing, but also 
how it was directed and how it was acted. It was like the timing was great. The timing in this film overall is, is, is fantastic. And the dialogue and the pacing and everything. Yeah, we don't ever dwell on anything too long. Um, I think that's part of the recipe for success too. We keep moving, um, you know, logically on to the next part. The story moves at a, at a pace that also doesn't feel rushed either. Mm-hmm. Like it, it actually, it feels like it takes its time without, without dawdling for sure. Cause it's only like a hundred minute film. Mm-hmm. This is not a long film. Yeah. You know, but you actually, when it, by the time it's over, you actually feel like you got something a little more substantial because there was a lot of meat in those scenes. So, uh, best performance, worst performance. Let's start with uh, let's start with best performance. Um, I think that's kind of hard. Um, because I really like. Well, maybe maybe for the purposes of when you have such good acting, what was your favorite performance? My favorite performance was probably the mom. Um, I just really liked her character and the way she played it. You know. She really was like the most grounded and down to earth and just was so over everyone's shit. Like she's definitely the one that's behind the scenes. It's had to put up with everyone. You know what I mean? Like you can see how all every all everyone else's crap has worn on her. <laughs> yeah, she definitely has that that world weary kind of look about her. It's like, oh, this again, okay. And she just kind of rolls with it. But then it turns you know? out even she can have a good time. You even know? she can have a she good time. She has a nice dinner with an, another gentleman. And, you know, is able to just leave it at that. You know, yeah. it, it made her feel a little young again and she had a good time. But, it, you know, she was she's ultimately still that character that uh, is, is strong through everything. And, you know, she when she's parting from that gentleman who actually was the uh, the father in Frasier, uh, John Mahoney, um, who was a wonderful actor. And he, you know, and he, he has a couple of small, small scenes in this film that are great the way that he does those and. But when she leaves him on the street corner, you know, he's trying to get in with her. He's trying to, you know, you know, either go into her house or, you know, have her come back to his place. She's like, no, like, I know who I am. And I think she's the only character in the film who, like, feels that definitively. Mm-hmm. Like, she's the only, she literally is the the rock upon which this family is built. Because, you know, even old grandpa with his five dogs, it takes him the entire movie just to tell his own son, like, hey, you should pay for your only daughter's wedding. Yeah. You know, he's got to, like, work. He's got to work that up. And, like, he had to talk to his buddies about it. And, you know. It was like, oh, you know. Yeah. Like, he, he really had to work up the nerve and, you know, wait for the right moment. He couldn't just be like, you know, like, hey, fucko, pay for your daughter's wedding. I mean, not that he should say it, like, quite like that, but. But that's the beauty of this movie, you know, too, is but, that, like, that is so realistic because I know so many families where that is absolutely how things happen. Absolutely. Someone has talked to everyone else about the problem until they talk to the person they should actually talk to. That's true. And like so many families and so many workplaces, it's, uh, you know, you know, and this is what I love about just direct communication too. Mm-hmm. Just too many wishy-washy people. Who yeah, just this like, doesn't, yeah, you know, this yeah. doesn't ever happen with you. This is <laughs> I, not with me, but you know, other people, other people have this problem. Yes. But yeah, it was, uh, but yeah so going back, the mom, yeah. who uh, just for the record, she was portrayed by uh, Olympia Dukakis. It was just a, a character actor who did a whole bunch of stuff. If you 
I couldn't name it off the top of my head, but if you see her, you see this film, you'll know exactly who we mean. She just has, she just, as soon as you see her, you've been like, oh, I know her. And there's quite a few people in this film, like uh, the father as well. And like, um, I really enjoyed a lot of the minor characters too. I think she stood out kind of as the main character that, I mean, Cher obviously was really good. Um, so, I mean, I really liked her character as well and the way that she played it. So uh, they were probably for me the two best. Um, and they both won Oscars in this film too. Yeah. This is the first Oscar winning film that we have uh, covered on our, on our show. It's kind of like a, one of those, like, it's a big moment, you know? Like we're watching an actual decent movie. Like we're watching a real film made by real professionals. Yes, it's actually been recognized by people as being a good film. <laughs> yeah, that's that <laughs> may not happen often on this channel. Yep. But uh, yeah, so she was a good one. And then who? Oh, man. I really liked... I, I, I liked The Father, uh, played by Vincent Gardenia. Mm-hmm. He... Uh, you don't see him too often and he doesn't even necessarily say a whole lot, but just like his, his pantomime movements, his, his facial expressions, just the way that he carries his character, the, uh, the countenance of the character is a, it's almost its own character. And he really uh, expressions and things like that. Just, yeah. I mean, it's not over the top. It's, it's, it's another one of those, you know, be because the, uh, the 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 level of the film is so high in terms of what's permissible, as we mentioned. You know his uh, his expressions, while a bit exaggerated, are still within that as well. And they just um, they're really great because you know he he can really steal a scene, just like with a grimace or just a scowl or you know a very you know you know he's a plumber and at one point he's in his uh in a uh, potential customer's bathroom and just talking about the pipes. And it's such a brief scene that you see of him, but it just shows you so much about that character and what he's like. And it tells you a lot of what you need to know about it. It just tells you everything you need to know about him. And especially in the scene immediately after that, when he's having dinner with his paramour. So, yeah, so some definitely some good, uh, some good performances here. Now let's talk about worst performance or let's say most superfluous performance. Who was the, the one character that we could cut out of this and still have a perfectly fine film. And that's going to be a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know if anyone was unnecessary. Um, Cause you have, you have the aunt and the uncle. Which I think overall you could probably have done without the most. Yeah. They definitely, nothing that they do specifically affects the rest of the film. Yeah. They just kind of represent the family, tertiary family. They're just, they're, they're, just an, they're just extended family, you know, and they, they provide some information at one point. Mm-hmm. But overall, they're not really, uh, they're not vital to the story. Anybody else could have even have said that, what they said. I would agree. Know? Yeah. They just were background family they were they were background they were extra you know even even the old man with the five dogs was definitely uh a little more more vital to to how things progress in this film but i think that would be it and they were still delightful to watch and they were still um they still added they still added flavor to the film Mm -hmm. all right uh 
score slash soundtrack. I didn't even really look at and who who made the the music for this film. Mm-hmm. Um, opera plays a big role in this film, though. Um, it's uh, you've got a Dean Martin version of uh, "That's Amore," you know, in the beginning uh, title sequence, and you have shots of like opera opera posters and things like that. And they again they go to the opera at some point, and Nick Cage's uh, character just loves opera in general, and he has a nice old hi-fi in his, in his uh, apartment listening to opera records. That's really the only music that really stood out to me, though, that I could really recall. There's a lot of songs playing in the background in scenes, but it's very much in the background. Yeah, it really didn't dominate because I was really focused on what was going on with the characters and with the story. It's like, you know, if if you're walking to a building and they have, they have a, a song playing on a radio somewhere, that kind of music, not like score music. You know what I mean? Yeah, there was very little of that. It felt it just like, atmospheric, yeah. but not yeah, um, not in focus, except for the music you were talking about, the opera and that kind of music that was front and center. Yeah, it absolutely was. And one, and one thing I love too about the opera, the opera scene is, you know, you see these two working class people, you know, Nick Cage and Sharon. You know, Nick Cage is pretty rough when we first see him. He's missing a tooth. He hasn't shaved. His hair's a mess. Not exactly dressed, uh, particularly you know nice, you know, and you know you have Sharon who's just very, uh, very plain in this film, which I thought actually was a very nice look for her. Mm-hmm. She's got a few gray hairs. She's not much makeup, wearing very you know simple clothing. And then when the opera comes, you know Nick Cage transforms into a more cultured person. You know, like this is his thing. And, and she gets extra too. And she gets extra too. You know, she gets her hair done. She gets dolled up. She gets buys a new dress. She, uh, you know, but she's not really an opera fan, you know, and like in the intermission, she even says, well, you know, I like parts of it, but I don't really get it. Mm-hmm. And then when they go back in there, she does get it. And it, you know, it moves her to tears. Yeah. And you can see, uh, it's almost like that scene elevates in a way, the quality of these two people, like they're more than just what they're, they, you know, than what you see, mm-hmm. which, which I thought was a nice touch. And they they more connect more emotionally, you know, where that you can see, like, she wasn't really going to make it with Johnny because he was just a plain piece of toast. You know what I mean? He was just very surface. And so uh, the brother, gosh, what is his name? I've, I haven't even said his name. Ronnie. Ronnie. Yeah. Nick Cage, Ronnie. Ronnie, uh, his character is very emotional and that's why he loves the opera too you know you can tell like he likes to have that that the feeling and emotion that goes along with it he's, so they're just much better matched in that way so that's how, it kind of shows their connection and certainly on on screen they look like the better pair for sure yeah you know not and Danny Aiello looks you know at this point in his life you know he was in his uh, early 50s you know, he was still a pretty good looking guy, you know, not too overweight, not too old, you know, mostly a full head of hair. You know, he looks like a, like a pretty solid, good looking guy, but he's, you can just see like, even at dinner, like he looks like, you know, shares maybe a little out of his league there mm-hmm. and he's kind of like trying to punch above his height, which, you know, Hey, who isn't, <laughs> you know, but definitely when Nick Cage comes along, they definitely seem more on a, on the same kind of wavelength. For sure. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, you know, from the very beginning, the whole film's trying to get you to root for those two. 
and just, you know, try to find a way to conveniently, you know, get uh, Danny Aiello's uh, Johnny character out of the equation. Do they? Don't they? I don't know. You you probably can figure it out. Watch the movie. Watch the movie. I mean, you know, oh, by the way, spoiler alert. So, yeah, we, yeah. I think we can we can safely say we would both recommend this film. Oh, I absolutely would recommend this film. And uh, I would not necessarily have thought that uh, before this evening. But it definitely uh, it's it's a um it's hilarious at times. Yes, very funny uh in a very sincere way. Very you know, not no cheap laughs or anything like that. It's all very, um, it's very grounded and, um, and absurd. It's very funny. Uh, it really makes you appreciate the way that they made films back in the day. They definitely had a different, a, a different sense of, of timing and of what they felt was important to include, in the way that they lit scenes, the way that they shot scenes. You know, there, there's a couple of scenes, too, like where um, you see like this comically large moon against a city, the New York skyline. And, you know, like obviously like there's some matte painting work going on. There's some other kinds of trickery and it looks a little weird, especially compared to like, you know, what you see nowadays in films. But it still looks cool. And it has this. It has uh, like a stage theatrical feel to it, which I like about this whole film. I I like films. I enjoy films. I find that seem like they could be just shot, you know, shown on a stage in an evening. I feel like this is one of those that would translate well to that, you know, because they they give you the information you need to tell your story. They give you the settings you need, and they don't overdo it. And I feel like so many movies, I mean, especially having seen so many crappy like huge blockbuster films the last like 10 years, it's just nice to go back to, you know, 30 plus years, you know, to a, uh, a very small film in terms of its world and its scope, you know, just go to like a small, quiet Italian neighborhood in Brooklyn and just focus on a few people. There's, I think people need to, people ought to watch more movies like that. I think they would get more out of out of their film watching mm-hmm. instead of all of these huge epic movies with intertwining plots with other films and everything. It's just, you know, I think we lose something when we, when we step away from all that all the time. Definitely agree. I think there's definitely a degree of, um, of just kind of CGI garbage you get to in, in movies now where it's like, we need bigger explosions. You know, we need, every movie has to try to top the last one and how extreme its action is and how you know crazy this the visuals are bigger better harder faster at a certain point like you just got to take a break from that absolutely and this definitely i think this is definitely our break for for the week definitely we'll see you like you said we never would have picked a movie like this uh in any other circumstances so i think this was this was a great pick and um, very funny, just an enjoyable film. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, so I guess uh, you definitely get a good recommendation, um, from both Ken and I for this one. And I guess on that note, we'll conclude this week's episode of complimentary cinema on the O&M stockroom. We'll include a, uh, link in the description below for this film where you can watch it on YouTube. And if you have uh, seen it, let us know what you thought in the comments below. And if you haven't, what, you know, other thoughts and 
feedback are always welcome and looked forward to. And uh, have yourself a wonderful evening. Thank <laughs> you.